I'm Dave Binocco, the Almire Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Well, the month of January introduced us to the reset phase of the Reconnect and Reset theme, which has guided us through the podcast season. Our most recent episode, a part of our Parish Connection 50th anniversary series of podcasts, was a pure joy. Kevin Keith and Don Epperson provided a trustee's view on Parish's audacious campus and grade level expansion of 2002. I look forward to resuming our look back at that boldest of resets, the birth of Parish Episcopal School, next from the employee perspective later this month, as I welcome former Director of Development Kathy Bershern and founding faculty member Frederick Coates to From My Angle. Today, though, we expand the conversation we began earlier this month with E.E. Ford Foundation's John Gula about the reset happening in the education space post-pandemic. While John provided a bird's-eye view of trends and theories about what a reset might look like in the world of independent schools like Parrish, today's episode zooms in tightly on a topic much on the minds of parents in high-achieving communities like Parrish's, college admissions. Always a source of worry, it seems, for students and parents in preparatory schools like Parrish, the intensity and anxiety surrounding the college admissions process only seems to grow by the day and the year. Past podcast episodes with author and higher education expert Jeff Salingo in October of 2020, and more recently with Dr. Sonia Luthar and scholar and writer Matt Feeney in December of 2021, have explored the reasons and consequences for the anxiety surrounding the college admissions process. But as we think about how life has or may reset post-pandemic, college admissions is certainly ripe for further analysis. During the last two years, the pandemic years, if you will, we have witnessed the highly visible Varsity Blues scandal, pandemic-induced changes to how students and families come to know about and visit schools, and significant shifts in how standardized tests will be taken and be used by colleges. So, what have the impact of these various alterations to the college admissions landscape been, and which of them will persist as permanent resets to the model? To address questions like these, I've invited one of Parrish's own, Sarah Kramer, the new director of our Center for College and Life Planning, to join us. Sarah came to Parrish this year after a long tenure of senior leadership roles and college admissions experience at fellow independent school Oak Ridge in Arlington. Sarah will try to help us make sense of the college admissions process resets from her insider perspective. I'm sure you will find it informative. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the From My Angle podcast. And indeed, this month of January has allowed us to jump into the reset phase of the reconnect and reset theme, which has guided us since the podcast season began back in August. Apropos to the start of the new year, we delved into this whole idea of what it means to reset. Also fitting around Parrish's 50th anniversary. And man, was it fun to have Kevin Keith and Donnie Epperson on, two trustees who provided such leadership and guidance along with so many of their peers to Parrish's audacious campus and grade level reset in 2002. Today, though, we want to shift our focus back to the world of education. We started this a bit with John Gula from the E. Ford Foundation in our first episode in January, but we're going to bring it home even more so 
to perish to talk about the intensity and anxiety surrounding the college admissions process that seems to grow day by day and year by year. And I'll have two episodes on this topic coming up over the next several weeks, the first of which is going to start right here at the Center for College and Life Planning at Parrish with Parrish's own Sarah Kramer, our director. She came to Parrish this year after a long tenure of senior leadership and college admissions experience at fellow independent school Oak Ridge in Arlington. So Sarah is going to help us figure out the college admissions process, wink, wink, from the insider perspective. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming to hang out with me. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. Okay, so you're new to the parish community, so let's do this as we like to on the podcast. But this will be helpful, I think, for our community, too, as they get to know you. Um, I like guests to just tell us, you know, how they identify when they walk into a group. You're a mom, you're a spouse, you're an educator, college counselor. How does Sarah Kramer show up? I definitely see myself as a wife, a mother, a daughter, um, all the most important jobs that I've had. But I also see myself as a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an information junkie, and I'm a recovering administrator. Yes, you are. <laughs> you held Michelle Lyons role at Oak Ridge for many years as associate head of school. Have you liked the shift from doing everything to doing a lot of one thing in college counseling? I love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that um, this this role kind of mirrors my greatest passions. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'm married to my college sweetheart who uh, works in higher ed. He's at his fourth university. Um, independent schools and colleges are probably like our hobby. Like we visit as many as we can whenever we can. So we're probably up into the hundreds at this point. Right. Um, but when I look at kind of my passions, so I love this work. And I love the kids here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you have such um, a, a great sort of diversity of students, right? We Student sure do. Types. Yep. And I get to blend writing and networking, which I love. Um, I also get to take the stuff from business school, like the strategic thinking and the data analysis. So yep. it kind of all works. It's this perfect storm for me. Yeah. I think, though, when I think about... The, my most recent experience as a mom, so my daughter went through this process, just, she's uh, a freshman. Yeah, that's right, just went through this last year. Yeah, so what I also love is that I've walked in the same shoes mm-hmm. as these parents, yep. and it's such a vulnerable spot to be in, yep. and I get it. Yep. And you don't lose that. You'll continue to get it as a, as a parent if you've had a child go through it. Um, especially, you know, college admissions has so radically transformed over the years, and especially during the pandemic. So I can relate. For sure. And we'll definitely get into that. And I think I remember last spring at some point you having to run home to be mom, you know, around this element of transition. Like it's just so hard, right? And you and mm-hmm. I have shared um, stories of, you know, my sophomore now who's still trying to figure out the and navigate the post sort of still pan- pandemic land- right. landscape at center. And my 23-year-old right. who's out of AM who's trying to figure out the post-college pandemic experience right it's right. just a really difficult time for we parents of you know roughly 18 to 22 or 23 year olds none of us none of us have answers um but we do bring some wisdom to those who are going through it for the first time and i know that, i know you value being able to provide that not answers but just a sense of perspective right as folks walk into your office so you you did a great segue for us to kind of reference this um uh, reality that we've been living in this uh, pandemic time warp and how much has transpired. So let, let's get to let's get to the first of the issues that were during the pandemic, but not directly related to the pandemic. And that's this um, visible and I think most salacious of the pandemic period occurrences, which is varsity blues. So 
here's here's my feeling of it, right? Um, my sense is that these wealthy parents who were able to um, use this misguided um, private college consultant and influence athletic coaches, test proctors, others to get their kids into prestigious schools under really false pretenses um, has not really reset the college admissions process, at least as most parents coming into your office on a daily basis are going to experience. So am I mistaken? Or are there elements that you're experiencing in your interaction with colleges that suggest, man, it's actually a little bit different because of varsity blues? Well, I, I don't know. I'm inclined to agree with you because pre-varsity blues, college admission had become such a source of stress for so many parents and um, students and families. Um, while it expanded the call for transparency probably in the college admission process and probably made parents even more anxious and more skeptical of this being a fair or equitable process, um, I, I think parents may still find themselves wondering if their, parent, if their children have a good shot at highly selective college admission. So we saw consequences of the desperation play out. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. Um, but I think those, those feelings are still bubbling to the surface with mm-hmm. our independent school families. So, I mean, we're still seeing families paying for high-priced test prep. We're still seeing them work with independent educational consultants. Not vastly different than the families that were implicated in Varsity Blues, right? But it hyper-focused on that reality that an affluent family especially wants the best for their children. And, you know, we lose sight of that bigger picture at that point. So... I always go back to that quote, and I, you know, it's attributed to so many different people, but the college is a match to be made, not a prize to be won. So really, where, where's my child going to thrive? What is the best, best academic fit? And that's what we lost sight of, I think, with this Varsity Blues. It was chasing the name or the opportunity versus what does my child really need? Yeah, fueled by, fueled by that anxiety you, right. you reference, and, and that um, theory you subscribe to about uh, finding the, the, the match is during my 12 years at Parish been what we've subscribed to here uh, for sure. I suspect if there are changes in the process as a result of RC Blues, we're not seeing them. In other words, their, their back-end infrastructure changes that the colleges and universities have made around controls oh, and, and systems internally that the applying family, the sending school like Parish is not seeing in in the process mm-hmm. um, but you're absolutely right on what varsity blues reflected it's symptomatic of these broader issues around college admissions born really of what you and i in our professional tenures of close to 30 years have actually seen unfurl right mm-hmm. so first co- first u.s news and world report college list is 1983 i was middle high school you know i applied to college in 1985 there was there was a book that you went in to find some information about schools, right, or m- multiple books, but there was no list or ranking of said schools, right. So I I clearly remember at an independent day school, um, I I clearly remember the college process being disassociated from daily life at school and and not a source of any stress other than the fact that we were going to be leaving each other as a class. That was it. Right? <laughs> right? You, you never really had to think about your brand. You never no. really had to think about how you were going to market yourself <laughs> no. or show how you stood out from other people or what made you unique. You probably did not overthink your college essay. No, you didn't. And for a variety of reasons covered in podcast episodes over the last five seasons, whether you want to go back and and listen to many that I've done with actual um, directors of admissions at the colleges and universities or some that I covered with Jeff Salino very recently, uh, application rates have soared. 
mm-hmm. acceptance rates at the highest um, the highest at, um, schools uh, in terms of selectivity, uh, most selective schools have, have dropped. So, you know, you've referenced already some of the signs of the anxiety you're seeing. What what have you noticed as to like the trajectory of, of that increase in anxiety? And, and what, is it, what does it look and sound like when, when folks are coming in and sitting down in front of you now in ways that maybe it's a little bit different than it was 10 right. years ago in your career or 15 or 20 years ago in your career? Right. Well, like you and I were talking about, when we went through this process, we, we didn't worry about it the same. And so, you know, if you're reflecting back to your own process, you're wondering, why is this so difficult for my child? You know, we just went to school. We did our thing. We didn't have to worry about how what we chose to do in high school would look on a college application. And so I think now parents are worried. You know, you hear all of these things. You, you watch closely what's happening with your child and your children's classmates. And you start worrying that your child's not going to get in anywhere. Because you're just focused or hyper-focused on this a couple hundred schools versus the thousands that are available to right. our kids. So I think, too, you know, you're in this state of heightened anxiety, but you have very little control over the outcome. You know, we, we talk with our kids. Like, I try to remind students and families, you can only control the things you can control, right? You've done your best in your classes. You've chosen your classes or your pathway well. You spend time doing things you care about. But, I mean, ultimately, a college is building and shaping a freshman class, which you, are, you may or may not fit into based on what they need. Yeah. And, and that's the hard part, I think, is you think, well, I've done everything, you know, right. For a, process I, for a process I really don't understand, and as we'll get into some more as we go along, right. is, is not really discernible to, to the outside consumer. Right. Uh, and so you, you don't really know how the process works. You don't really know where your kid falls. So the default is more APs, more outside activities, more, more, more. And the result is this uh, anxiety, not just for parents, but of course we're seeing it replete among students at high achieving schools, public and private, and on college campuses as our kids deposit themselves as freshmen untethered from home and have to deal with this uh, continued reality of, you know, are they, are they successful? And you say the top couple hundred schools, you know, frankly, I wish it were that many. I think it's, you know, I think it's the top 50 mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones that are kind of, you know, that are kind of top of mind, you know? Well, and I, I mean, I try to reframe the language with students because, you know, a student will walk into our office and say, well, I was rejected or, well, oh, I failed. And uh, I'm like, okay, your application was not accepted. You were not admitted. You did not fail. Right. You, you, you yourself as a person have not been rejected and so yeah the puzzle piece uh the puzzle of the pieces that that college as you were referencing was was assembling for this particular year's class right right unfortunately your your piece didn't fit this year may very well have year last or maybe year next but this year it did not so you find you find the next you know i referenced in an earlier podcast with with jeff uh that we explored this biggest what i think is the biggest public relations problem for public admission for college admissions and nobody gets it nobody understands it and so the you know he he wrote a book called who gets in and why Mm -hmm. right to try to help parents understand 
how complicated and uh, based on uh, in, in sort of internal organizational institutional dynamic and, and, and demographic this process can be. And then, of course, now you've got this major changes, some of which have been accelerated by the pandemic. They were starting beforehand right. and how colleges are utilizing or not utilizing standardized tests and admissions. So let's let's just start right here. Tell us what test optional means and what impact it has had on how students and families construct a college list. So test optional obviously means that the student is choosing whether or not to submit an ACT or an SAT score in college admissions. But then you have all those other layers like test blind. So you have California now saying, we're not looking at anything. Iowa last week announced, we're not looking at anything. Because colleges, I mean, California is very much the, the, the tail that wags the dog of, of college admissions uh, policy because it's such a large right. system. Right, and, and so no score introduced into their application evaluation. Then you have test flexible, which you know is its own beast. But keep in mind, like you said, much of this was already happening pre-pandemic. Like I think about fairtest.org that's been around forever, um, and you know, contended you know that the test had biases, that students were not best represented by one Saturday in June, but the overall body of work, right? So the pandemic just accelerated, I think, some of that decision making. It will be interesting to see what stays. And, and what changes again, but right. to me, the impact has been a blessing and a curse, right? A student who didn't want to be evaluated as a result of a score has the freedom not to be, but it's driven up those application numbers. And so, like you said, it's driving down the acceptance rates as well. Um, before the test score, right, you had published college averages, mm-hmm. so it could help you sort of ascertain, am I, am I in the ballpark? Am I a viable candidate to this institution? But now let's say you have a 26 on the ACT and the school's historic mid 50% was 29 to 33. You're like, I have a chance. I'm competitive again. So we are seeing larger college lists. We're seeing families that felt like something was out of reach before and now it's suddenly possible. And again, outcomes are still gonna be similar. Selective colleges are going to be selective colleges. So I think it's leading our families to feeling like maybe it's even more confusing. Yeah, for sure. And on the pro, on the pro side, a huge equity gain, right, for for, for black and brown students who have historically not performed well on such tests. So they can now apply on the merits of all the other elements of their application without being burdened by the test score. I think that's an undeniable, undeniable mm-hmm. pro. Probably, I would say, of what you just extolled the, of, of, of the ramifications, the largest con is this heightening of application numbers. Because again, if everybody applies to generally the same smallish cohort of schools, those large application numbers, which have already gone up, friends, 25 and 30 and 40% even in the last 15 years at places like Vanderbilt, SMU, TCU, the Harvards and Yales and Ivies, they've gone up significantly. Uh, The more applications they have, the harder it becomes for an individual to get in. And, and so this is the sort of the, 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 the negative offset of it. There is effectively a formula that's being suggested for whether I should send in my test score or not. So, you know, if you've scored a little bit above, right, the median average or cut of uh, the school's 50th percentile score, it's probably good to, to good to send it in. If you're below it, you probably would withhold it. Like, how are you helping families and students navigate whether to send to a test optional, test flexible school 
or whether not to, or there's a certain set of criteria or ground rules that our parents who are listening would be like, oh, that's helpful as a heuristic. We're we're still looking at that mid 50% Mm -hmm. historic, but you know, and I think too, one of the things that we found in talking with college reps this fall, generally speaking, for students who produced test scores, they were still fitting roughly in that mid 50%. So that, that historical context can give us a little bit. So yes, we look at students and, and we look at two, you know, does the GPA complement the test score and vice versa? So does, does it match mm. well? Does it, does it look like the historic pattern for that school had looked like? If a student is an outlier in terms of testing, we have suggested that they not send it. But it, it depends on the school, honestly. It's, it depends is my answer a lot of times. Right. As you will see. It depends to your student and depends and depends to the place to which you're to which you're yeah, applying. Absolutely. And, and and you referenced earlier this uh, beautiful breadth of student here that we call cable exceptional. You can you can talk about it in any framing that you want, but it is the secret sauce of parish that we have such heterogeneity um, in the in, within a college um, college capable student here at school. And thus our college placement list typically reflects that breadth, right? You know, 60 plus percent of our kids will go out of state, you know, roughly 40% of our kids will, will stay in state. We will have a strong number of kids go to large public universities and they want the rah-rah and the spirit of it while we'll have other kids exploring, uh, smaller schools well off the beaten footprint of, of, uh, of, of some of the hotter quote unquote schools in the, in the, in the country. And so, you know, I hope Parish uh, through the CCLP and in the way we communicate as a culture continues to honor um, uh, the broad range of uh, college offerings that are out there in terms of institutions and, you know, works on this on a case by case, individual by individual student, as you're just referencing. One of the other pandemic um, time period changes is very, very recent, right? Mm-hmm. So, Sure do we use the test at all? And now we're told last week by the college board who, uh, who owns and, and uh, administers the SAT that uh, the SAT is changing and it's going to shorten in duration in the spring of uh, 2024. It's going to have some adaptive questions on it. So not every question that Sarah has is going to be the same as the one that Dave has. That's interesting, right? And most significantly, you'll sit at a computer. And take it. You will not be scratching out, uh, you know, uh, your your uh, uh, number two pencil answers on the on the answer sheet. So this is um, I don't know seven days old. I don't know how much you've been hearing coming at you from uh, the powers that be in the college industry that you are familiar with. But what have you learned about this reset and how the SAT works? Any implications that you expect it will have relative as more colleges move to test optional or still too early to? I think I have more questions than answers mm. at this point. You know, I, w- I, I am so interested to see how this particular reset is going to unfold. I, I saw, I think it was in the Washington Post, it was a quote from a student who was part of the pilot and said that the duration of the test is less anxiety producing, which is great, great. for kids. Mm-hmm. But still, it's standardized testing in, in a world that's become, where that's become yeah. a less important variable, right? Yeah. And so what is that going to look like? The, the skeptic in me worries a little bit about how that's going to unfold will it will it make the test more objective or is it going to give us clarity about whether you're admissible to a college i mean i don't know yeah all interesting don't know if the act is going to go that way because the the act and sat are owned by different entities right so that's the next question are they going to follow suit 
Um, some of our students take the ACT, some of our students take the SAT, some take both, right? Again, it's very much a, a where are you looking, what, what school you are interested in, to a certain degree where have you had some strong suits in subject-wise, because um, the ACT offers some testing um, uh, subjects that the, that the SAT does not. Um, so this one will be e uh, eager to see, again, not impacting students until spring well, this of year's freshmen. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. spring of 2024. So it'll be this year's freshmen will be the first to do that. And we'll certainly share more information as that moves along. So the test optional reset was underway before the pandemic. Definitely got accelerated, right? And I think it's safe to say that this is a reset that's going to stick. What other alterations that we may have seen during the pandemic? Uh, virtual campus tours and visits, virtual visits with area reps who are coming to see you all in the CCLP rather than visit our campus. Like, are you sensing any other changes from the folks that you're talking to on the higher ed admission side that are going to persist beyond the pandemic because they ran into a gold nugget they just hadn't discovered before? I think we've all discovered some nuggets mm -hmm. in this for sure. You know, I think about just the accessibility now that students have to information about colleges. So if you're not able to travel, you have all of this at your fingertips. I don't see how they wouldn't continue to um, build upon that. So you can, for example, I had an architecture student this year who has been able to do so many different sort of segmented information sessions that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. So you have access to all of all this virtual, just yeah. all virtual with uh, virtual student, students who are there for them to talk with and university professors and administrators the like. Right. So I mean, I think so many <clears throat> universities have sort of brought themselves into your living room or office, and that's a beautiful thing for families that haven't been able to travel or who have created a really long list. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. a lot of these students who have longer and longer college yeah. lists have more access to material than they've ever had. Before. Yeah, that's a good point. You can't afford to, to go to every part of the country. So you need to be selective and perhaps which ones you have for a campus visit, but you can explore the others through so, these new mechanisms. Yeah, I feel like that will stick. And I feel like, too, social media, you know, I think the colleges are winning at that at the moment in terms of just student access to mm. sort of the ethos of a school. I think you can learn a lot by following the social media. And, you know, I think about all of the things. So my daughter, who's a college freshman, all of the things she talks about and looks at, it's well beyond the information that you or I had when we were applying to college. Right. The, so this, There's so many data points and so yeah. many experiences beyond the college visit. And I think that's going to have staying power. Yeah, the social media one's a really interesting one. So that's where uh, vibe and, and sense of college culture mm -hmm. is um, going to be very evident, I suspect, for, uh, particularly for a discerning 18-year-old uh, who's, right. who's very comfortable in that medium. But I, again, I would, I, would, I would posit that that was already well underway Pre-pandemic. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, whether the pandemic had an influence in that being a reset or it was just the evolution of, of how uh, marketing was happening uh, on college campuses is, a, is, is an interesting one. So uh, I agree with you. I think that that's probably um, what we're going to continue to see. So I, 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 still, I still feel like even with great social media, getting your boots on, on the ground at a college campus is always going to be vitally important. And so I would suspect if we were talking to um, deans of enrollment, they're going to, they're going to tell you that um, they're going to return as quickly as they can to those campus-based programming, full day tours and orientations and 
uh, prospective student events that are that are um, centered around the human connection of being on campus. But oh, I definitely um, don't disagree with you. There, right. And I think, but what it has done is it it sort of adds a layer into Correct. the initial search process yeah. that wasn't necessarily yep. as vibrant before. Yeah, they really are just gold nuggets. They're just mm-hmm. little. They're just little pieces of add-on that I think, to to your point, are just are are, are additional texture mm-hmm. and and layer for um for for evaluation um and maybe we'll make the process more efficient for folks that are over over applying because we are of like mind eight to twelve colleges is more than a significant list right I mean I would love to see students at more like six to eight but I think in CCLP right now we're we're, we're generally having people try to ballpark in that range of eight to 12, right? right? You know, and but you're seeing them go 12, 12 plus in some instances, right? Right. <laughs> it's a lot of work for the student. Don't. Think about all of those supplements and all of the time and energy that goes into doing that well. Right, and so that whole element of being able to, to continue to winnow and, 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 um, and, and bring the list down to a manageable size, if the more information that's out there uh, whether it was result from the pandemic or just how colleges are now producing it, like if that information can be used to to help make a refining decision rather than just expanding the decision, right. that'd be great. But uh, I think it may just be a ooh, that looks great. Oh, I love that. Ooh, I love that one. And then we just keep applying to 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 more and more. So I guess as we close, like let's talk about some resets up in CCLP. You're you know, rolling through the very early phases of your of your time and experience here. So, you know, I thought um, it, it may still be observations, not plans, you know, that you, that you have in mind. But um, as you and Ingrid and Langston, who constitute our team upstairs, think about the future of the CCLP, you know, and, and, and amidst these changes, right? Some that are going to be permanent resets and some that are we're still trying to figure out. Like, what are, what are two or three of the top things that you're like, yeah, this would really be an interesting opportunity for us to pursue. How are you putting your strategic brain to work on some of these things? Well, I have to say, so first of all, Langston, Ingrid, it's what an honor to join that team. They're committed. They're accomplished. I feel like in a first year, listen and learn. Yeah. Right? And so this is sort of my my reset yep. being at Parish and with the CCLP. But I'm thinking about a couple of things. So... Um, after sort of watching our present programs and thinking about how to build on the success that CCLP has already experienced, I have a couple of thoughts. So one of the things I think is maybe adding a layer of some kind, maybe student college travel to the menu of opportunities. Mm. So whether that be a college tour experience vis-a-vis a class trip or a spring break offering or a summer offering, just I think that our, our students and families are overscheduled. So having an opportunity to start to give them some context mm-hmm. is something that I would like to, to look at. But I think, too, and this is a, a very delicate one, I would like to in, introduce some college and life planning conversations slightly earlier mm-hmm. in a student's upper school career. Not so much for the <clears throat> students. I'm not sure that the students are thinking about college in the ninth grade. I think parents are feeling anxious and have an appetite for a little more information. So some kind of sequential parent education piece while keeping that eye on being student-centered and introducing student information at developmentally appropriate times. Because again, I don't think they're ready that mm-hmm. early. But I think it would help make some of this clear as mud stuff a little more accessible and a little less mysterious. 
in the absence of information, I think we build our own narrative. And so I feel like possibly providing resources and education sooner could help our parents mm-hmm. think about college planning, yeah. Yeah. make it a little less scary. Again, I think that the where we introduce these conversations with students is developmentally appropriate. And it's important to keep an eye on that. Not stressing out our children. I love that second part. And you know, it predates you by a predecessor or two, but you you know that for me, uh, a big part of our reimagined effort from twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen was this uh, reconceptualization of what the heck we're doing here at an independent college preparatory school and how it sh- how it feels to learn here that right. it can still be joyful that it can be skills based that it cannot be so outcome fixated like these are part and parcel of what many people in our community have heard for a long time and a leading indicator of that was the change in name from the college counseling office to the center for college and life planning it was intentionally done because we know for so many that office carries the banner of parish. And if we started to reset, right, before there was ever any thought of a pandemic reset, if we start to reset expectation about uh, the journey through this place, not just being about college, but about life, and that the immediate the immediate deposit point from parish did not have to necessarily be college. It might be life for some, right? It, it might be a work experience. It might be a gap year. It might be a, a, a Brookhaven or community college type experience that's more work aligned and work focused and certificate based before degree uh, that the, that the in increasing complexity of today's world necessitated a broader conversation about what lie beyond parish. And so starting those conversations, right, as early as possible with parents, and I would suggest even back to our lower school, right, to demystify in some instances, but for an increasingly, um, I think, um, uh, a generation of our younger parents who are increasingly aware of the leveling of the world and how it works in more of a nonlinear fashion, a likely receptivity to the idea that when my child graduates from parish in 2035 or so, which is where our youngest kids, you know, at school now are going to be heading up into quote unquote college, that there might be some creative ways to think about their ongoing personal maturation, uh, academic maturation, a command of the world that doesn't necessitate them being upside down, worried about which college they're going to get into. But that might still be the case for 85 to 90% of our kids. But I would commend you and hope you all push forward looking at uh, a broader um, audience and a broader definition of the post-parish experience. Well, I mean, there are many pathways to adulthood, the same way that there are many pathways through your parish journey. And I think that just educating about those opportunities and about the potential, I think, is never a bad thing. Again, it takes away some of the mystery, too. Yes, it does. And, and we, we won't, uh, our CCLP office can do it. And as we launch the study, uh, the Gilman study, and, and think about programming that we can offer there as a complement to, uh, and in some cases supplement for what happens in CCLP, I think that may be where we can provide programming to uh, interested parents and students, uh, especially those who, who want to move to the uh, non-traditional, if you will, post-parish uh, experience. So, um Finish your, 
finish your your listening and learning tour here this year that you yeah. and the team could start <laughs> start thinking about these exciting opportunities that lie ahead, uh, lie ahead. It's been great to have you. And as I reference, I I am uh, asperin of of getting Heath Einstein from um, uh, TCU to join us at a uh, very in the very near future to talk about this from the other direction and how uh, the college offices themselves. Uh, are experiencing a reset uh, in this process, but so appreciate you sharing the perspective from here at the CCLP. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we will bring you another in the series of 50th anniversary Parish Connection podcasts as we explore further the grandest parish reset of all our campus and grade level expansion We will welcome former Director of Development and Trustee Kathy Pershurn and founding faculty member Frederick Coates to talk about what life was like on campus in those hectic first years following expansion. Look forward to that conversation and hope you'll be back to join us next time on From My Angle.